0: Well, with the changing of the seasons, we begin a new sermon series. Uh, From now until Christmas, we're going to be looking uh, at the story of Abraham's son and grandson, Isaac and Jacob. So we're going to begin today in Genesis chapter 24, which you can find on page 17 in the Blue Pew Bible. Um, Genesis 24 is a long chapter, and if you read the whole thing which I encourage you to do uh, at some point this week, you'll see that a lot of it consists of the telling of the story and then the verbatim retelling of that same story. Um, Largely for the sake of your legs, uh, I am going to read verses 1 through 9, and then I'm going to skip to the retelling at verse 42. So, we'll start here, Genesis 24, verses 1 through 9 and 42 to the end. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And now skipping to verse 42, Abraham's servant is speaking and is telling what happens next. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please, give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son." Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please, let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Then the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from beer le roi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we um, have said often, uh, even today, uh, in this service uh, this morning um, at at leadership training, uh, we have have, um, reminded ourselves of the power of your word and of the gift that your word uh, is to us. Um, and father, with a passage like this, um, with a, a long uh, narrative, uh, it is good to just sit and just soak uh, in your word, and in some ways to wonder what 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 are you doing uh, through this story from a time and a place that is very different from ours, um, and, and and with 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 a culture uh, and with customs um, that are hard uh, for us to understand. Um, And Father, in some ways, we simply want to say um, that we trust you, that we trust um, that simply in the reading and the hearing of your word uh, together, uh, as we stop and we pause and we attend uh, to the words that you uh, inspired and that you then have acted to preserve these many, many millennia, um, uh, there is power and there is goodness and there is blessing. Uh, because you are at work, because you have made the promise that we repeat all the time, uh, that your word does not go out from you and return to you without accomplishing its purpose. Father, I know that the purposes that you have for each woman, man, child in this room uh, are very different um, and at the same time are, are one. Uh, that all of us would grow in grace, that all of us would grow in knowledge of you, um, that all of us would be um, more deeply impressed, uh, both by your glory and your majesty, but also by your love uh, for us, um, and that we, in turn, uh, would would worship you. And so, I pray that that even in this service, would you be doing that work in each of our hearts, both individually in the very different ways that each of us needs to grow and to change uh, and to be more like you, uh, and also in that one way that unites all of us, um, because we are members of one body, and Jesus, you are uh, our, our head. Lord, we look to you to do this work because we can't do it in ourselves. Uh, Holy Spirit, we need you. Uh, we have, have already invoked your presence, uh, and once again we ask uh, that you would be with us and be working in our hearts. And I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. All right. Um, I will tell you, I've heard this passage preached once before, and on, on that occasion, um, we did read... Uh, the whole thing, and then we went back and we listened to the recording later, and it took 11 minutes just to read uh, this, this whole passage. But I would recommend um, that at some point during this week, sit down and just read Genesis 24. Um, read the story. Uh, these, are, these, are, these are great stories, and God uh, works uh, through them uh, in our lives. Um, every fall, we return to the Old Testament, and the reason that we return. Uh, to the Old Testament, is to ask the question, who is God? We don't want to take for granted that we know who our God is. Even those of us who have been Christians many, many years, uh, who have asked that question before, um, can ask it again. Say, who, who is this God? Um, how will he reveal himself to us uh, through his word uh, and through the stories of what he has done that reveal his character and what he is doing even now. Um, The point of this story, I'll tell you the the, the main point that I want you to take uh, from this. Um, The point of this story is to encourage God's people, first the people of Israel uh, and then the church, to entrust themselves to God's providential care, uh, to entrust themselves uh, to his loving kindness, and steadfast love. Um, and I want to I argue in this passage that what we see is that our own freedom to act faithfully really depends uh, on the extent to which we understand God's providential care for us, the extent to which we understand him to be a good and loving father who not only can, but delights in providing for his people everything that they need. Okay? Um, God is unquestionably the hero of this story and of, of all of the stories that we're going to look at this fall. I, as I said this fall, um, we're looking at the stories of Abraham's son Isaac, um, which are actually quite short. There's just a few chapters. And then most of the fall, we're going to look at Abraham's grandson Jacob, um, which is a much a much longer narrative. And um, if you, if you approach these stories looking for a human character to be the hero of the story and say, so who, who in this story am I supposed to be like? You know, which, which of these lives am I supposed to model my own life after? Um, you are going to struggle, and you're going to be confused. Um, there are moments in these stories where we see people act faithfully, um, we see them grow. We, we, we see what it looks like for God to get a hold of a heart and to, and to change it and to make people more, more faithful. Um, but the hero of this story and of everything that we're going to look at this fall, uh, the hero is God. These are stories about who He is. They're stories about His character to encourage us to put our trust uh, in Him uh, and not in ourselves. Um, the big question animating all of these stories is how is God going to be faithful to his promises, and especially to the promise that he gave to Eve way back in Genesis 3, that one day your seed, your offspring, one of your descendants, is going to crush the head of the serpent, is going to crush Satan's head. Um, we, with Abraham and Sarah, we... Um, the birth of their son was a miraculous birth. They gave birth to Isaac when they were well beyond childbearing years. Um, And so already in that story, you see God acting to be faithful to that promise. But now, at the end of Abraham's life, the question arises, well, okay, that was one. That was one offspring. That was one child. But now there needs to be another generation. How is that going to happen? How is God going to provide... Uh, for, the, for the family to continue. Um, and that, in many ways, is what this story is about. Um, it's one of these stories where, despite the fact that God never shows up as one of the direct... like It, it, it never says the Lord said or the Lord did in this passage, um, and yet His fingerprints are all over everything that happens um, because of the way that things just sort of happen to fall into place. Uh, for for um, for Rebecca uh, to be provided. Um, so let's take a look at this passage. I, I'm not going to go point by point. Um, as much text as there was, uh, we would be here. Uh, we would be here all night. Um, again, at some point, you should read this. In some ways, like just the narrative itself and the story and the power of the story, as masterful as it is. Um, is kind of is, is kind of part of the point. but what we have happening here is the transition from Abraham to Isaac right It's at the end of Abraham's life. Um, this is the first that we've heard of Isaac since um, God tested Abraham by asking him to sacrifice Isaac uh, back in Genesis 22. Um, Abraham begins by saying something very strange. Um, and I do want to explain this to you. He, he comes to a servant and says, put your hand under my thigh, right? And I said, what is that about? And does that mean what I think it means? Um, yes, it does mean what you think it is. That is, in fact, a euphemism. Um, this is calling attention to the nature of God's promise. Um, this is calling attention uh, to the, the oath that God has made with, with Abraham. When he sealed a covenant with him um, and he said, Look, the sign of this covenant is going to be circumcision, right? Um, I am promising to give you children. I am promising that through your family, which is going to grow and is going to be tens of thousands, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. I am promising that one of these, of your offspring, is going to crush the head of the serpent. Um, The oath that he gives Abraham in circumcision, and the way that Abraham asks his servant to seal this promise now, um, directly refer to that promise. What we see here um, in Abraham is a man who has learned to put his trust in God, who has learned to bank everything on the promises that God uh, has has made to him. Um, And if you know Abraham's story, you know that it wasn't always like that. Right, Abraham uh, in his life is not one who always depends on, on God's promise um, earlier in his life um, when, it, when it didn't look like he and, and his wife Sarah were going to be able to have children um, they took it upon themselves to go and find a different woman that Abraham could have children with and they say well maybe that'll be the one that'll be how God will give us another generation um, that was how Uh, Isaac's half-brother, Ishmael, uh, was was born. And God said, no, that's that's not how it's going to work. I am going to give you a child. I am going to be faithful to this promise. Uh, And they waited and they depended on that. Uh, And in fact, Isaac was born. Um, You can see uh, the way that he is depending on God's promises um, with the emphatic... um, the way he reacts to the idea that his, his servant proposes. His servant says, look, if I, if I go out and I, and I find um, a woman to bring back here uh, to be Isaac's wife, right? Abraham says to his servant, I want you to go back to my family, back in Mesopotamia. They're in Canaan right now. Go back to Mesopotamia, go to my family, find a wife for my son. The servant says, well, if she's not willing to come, should I go get Isaac and take him there? And Abraham says, absolutely not. Um, and what Abraham is recognizing there is that God has made specific promises about this land uh, and about this son of his. God has made promises that, whereas in the past, he, when he got stressed out, you know, when he wasn't sure how things were going to work out, he took it upon himself to make it happen, now... He's waiting on things to to play out exactly as God said that they would. That God is giving them this land. And so he's emphatically saying, you can't leave here. Because if you leave here, then we're walking outside of God's promises. Um, So we see him depending uh, on that uh, for him. Um, The interesting thing is he does say, look, if you can't find someone who's willing to come back, then you're free from my oath. And when he says that, he is recognizing, you know, this might not work out the way that I think it's going to. Um, And that's really interesting. Um, One of the, the commentaries that I read said of this, it says, so Abraham is acting on the basis of the promise, but he doesn't presume upon the promise. In other words, His trust in God is of the sort that says, I believe that God is going to be faithful to what he said. But I also believe that he's free to do it in a way that I don't understand. And that I might even now not see coming. And I'm not going to presume that I can understand exactly what God is going to do. Um, Have you ever found yourself in that kind of situation? Where you feel like, I really know that God has promised to be faithful. And I do not see it. I do not see how God is working that out. Um, What do you do? Maybe the question is, how do you pray? How do you come to God in those moments where it really seems like faithfulness to His promises would mean X and it's not happening and you just can't see how it's going to? One thing that I want us to notice here um, is that Abraham's trust in God does not mean um, that he is uh, passive, that he is inactive. He is not simply sitting back and doing nothing and just waiting for God uh, to fulfill his promises any old way. Um, This is about as decisive as we've ever seen Abraham be. when, when, he, when he tells the servant, you absolutely cannot bring Isaac back here. Um, I know that when we talk about, you know, our actions, uh, our being decisive, our freedom to act faithfully, and then on the other hand, God's providence, right, and his sovereignty and his power, um, that can raise a philosophical conundrum, right? Say, how, how do those go together? I um, kind of want to set the philosophical question aside. Um, you know, we, sometime in adult ed, we might talk about uh, God's sovereignty and our free will, right? Divine, uh, divine action and human freedom. Or I'm happy to talk about that with anybody anytime you want to take me out to coffee. Um, i be more than happy. I'm kidding. I'll take you to coffee and we'll talk about divine action and human freedom uh, as, as, as much as you want. But at the moment, It's not really a philosophical thing that's presented here. Um, It's simply a picture of someone who is more free to act because he is more confident in God's providence. And I wanna suggest that, that, that that's actually something that would play out in our own lives. Or let me flip it around and ask you another question. Is there a place in your life where you are finding it difficult to take action, where you know you should? Is there a place in your life where you're finding yourself to be passive, where you know you should be active, indecisive where you know you should be decisive? Could it be the case that at the root of that is a belief that you are the one responsible for making things go a certain way? success in in whatever it is that you're facing, is all on your shoulders. Could could that be the root of that paralysis? I I know that that's been the case in my life. I know that the more I believe that I am the one responsible for making things work out a certain way, the harder it is for me to act, and the more paralyzed I become. Could it be that the more you believe uh, in a sovereign God, Uh, who cares for us providentially, who is a good father, who is able and more than willing to give us what we need, could that actually be the source of more freedom for you to act faithfully uh, in the ways that you you know you need to? I, I think that's actually what we've seen happen over the course of Abraham's life, that he has grown in confidence in God's sovereignty and at the same time has become more able to act freely and faithfully. Well, Abraham's servant goes to Mesopotamia, um, and as I say, we see signs that God is orchestrating events um, all over the place. Um, as, as the servant says, you know, he, he gets down there and he, and he prays to God, he says, um, you know, let the woman who comes... And I asked her to let me drink and she says, not just you, but also your camels, let her be the one. And he says, before I had even finished speaking, Rebecca is there. And she does exactly what he had asked for. And by the way, this was not a small thing. Um, So uh, one one commentator I read said, so the guy, he went down there with 10 camels. Uh, A camel, if it hadn't had water to drink in a while, would be capable of drinking like 25 gallons of water the jar she had probably held three. So, it's possible that she's going back and forth between this well 80 times or more. Um, This is not a small thing that she has offered to do. Um, Not only that, he finds out that not only is Rebecca from Isaac's family, from Abraham's family, um, she is actually Abraham's grand-niece. She's the... um, Uh, she's related to Abraham's brother, Nahor, um, which makes her, and I had to look this up, how this works, she's Isaac's first cousin once removed. Not first cousin. First cousin once removed, because she's a generation down. So this is really in Abraham's family. I mean, this is exactly what Abraham asked for, and exactly what the servant um, asked for. Um, The servant draws the right conclusion from this. The Lord is, in fact, Prospering uh, his way, um, a lot of the fun in the story uh, that I'll pass over quickly, I'll just I'll just mention it, um, comes in all of these interactions between uh, the servant and Rebecca's family. We're going to spend some time with Rebecca's family later, especially Laban, right? Some of you know when we get to Jacob's story, um, we're going to be back in Laban's house, and we're going to see more about what kind of guy he is. But you already get some hints. He as soon as he sees the bracelets and, and the nose ring and, the, and, the, and the, the things that the servant has given, and, and when he hears the servant uh, say, uh, my master is a wealthy man uh, and he's only got one son, which means that that one son is the sole heir of all of that wealth, like Laban notices. Um, we're gonna see that in his character uh, later on. He, he is a guy who takes note of, uh, of, of wealth. How do they respond? This is interesting. Um, There's no reason to believe that they know the Lord. Um, Abraham was called out of a pagan society. Um, There's no reason to think that the rest of his family um, really knows the Lord, and yet what they say upon hearing the servant's story is this thing is of the Lord, and we can't say anything good or bad to you. In other words, we can't we can't protest. It is obvious that your God, although they actually call him by his name, the Lord, um, is, is, is behind this. Um, and then they sort of hem and haw about when Rebecca can go. The servant insists that he has to go, that he can't be delayed. He says again, you know, look, the Lord has prospered my way, sort of as an implicit warning. You know, it, it's, it's not just me you're dealing with. You're getting in God's way uh, if you don't let us go. Until so they ask Rebecca, will you go with this man? And she says, I will go. The story ends with the return. By the way, each of these trips was taking about a month. Uh, the narrator kind of leaves out the month and really zeroes in and spends lots of time on all this interaction. But about a month later, they're getting back home. And we see Isaac. And it says he was out meditating in the field. Um, We don't know what he was meditating about. The only thing that we know about him at this point is his experience back in Genesis 22. Um, That experience uh, when his father was asked to sacrifice him. uh, And his father was ready to sacrifice him, was ready to give up the son of the promise until the Lord stepped in and said no. No. I see your faithfulness, uh, and look, I'm providing a substitute. I'm providing a ram in the thicket. That's that's about all that we know uh, about, about Isaac. Was he meditating on that? We don't know. I would think that that would stick with you, would be something that you would think about often. And it's interesting that the first time and the second time that we encounter Isaac, who's the son of the promise, we see him being provided for immediately. There's, there's one other connection between the passage we looked at here and Genesis 22. I want to close with this. Did you This blessing. So, Rebecca's family speaks a blessing over her. Um, in verse 60, they say, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Now, let me read Genesis 22, verses 15 to 18. Listen for the similarity. So this is right after God has provided uh, a substitute and Isaac has been spared. Um, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It's basically the same thing. It's a promise For offspring, multiplied offspring, as the stars of heaven, as the sand that's on the seashore, thousands of ten thousands. And there's this promise, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Why is it that the same promise is given to Rebecca uh, by her family, who don't even have any reason to know that this is a thing that they should say? They have no idea how true it is, what they're saying. Why would the same promise be given to Rebekah and to Abraham and to Isaac? It's because all these promises are going to be fulfilled in the same person. Later on, when we get to the New Testament, there's going to be another young woman, right? There's going to be another virgin appointed by God to see to the fulfillment of his promises. And like Rebecca, she's going to be given a choice. And she's going to have the opportunity to speak and to give her voice to her assent to follow God's will. Except instead of her saying, I will go, the way Rebecca said, Mary says, let it be to me as you have said. Um, And this time, the seed, the one that she gives birth to, is finally going to be the seed, is finally going to be the one, the promised one that... That all these stories are pointing towards. Um, We're getting a glimmer of these promises in these early stories of the patriarchs, of the fathers. And and that son, that Jesus, is going to make a promise about the gates. You remember this? When he he first founds his church, when when his disciples first realize who he is, when Peter first says, you are the Messiah, you're the son of the living God, And he turns to them and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that points us to one other thing, is that the enemies, the true enemies, are not the people around us right, the, the, the ultimate enemies that these promises that God made to Abraham and, and to Rebekah, um, the true enemies are not the people around them. Um, if they were, then it wouldn't make any sense uh, for God to have repeated his promise uh, to Abraham that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed uh, through him. But there are still enemies. We talk about the world, we talk about the flesh, we talk about the devil. Um, There are forces arrayed against God, uh, and Jesus has made this promise um, that the gates of hell will not prevail uh, against his church. And so what we're left with at the end of the day, we have this story in which God's people um, are being encouraged to entrust themselves uh, to his care. Um, And Jesus who reminds us that exactly those same promises attach themselves to the church. That Jesus has promised to be with his church and to be building his church and to be with us until the end of the age. Um, I would encourage you to read this whole text sometime this week and and use it as an occasion to meditate yourself, Um, to meditate on God's promises to you and on God's promises to the church Um, and to be reminded Um, that even when you can't see how it's going to work out, uh, we can entrust ourselves uh, to his providential care. Um, One of the ways that we do that um, is by being nourished at this table, that we trust him to feed us here, to feed our faith and to build us up. Um, Before we come to this table, let's join together and let's pray.